Well, I feel like Peter when he said, Lord, it's good to be in this place. <laughs> we have been blessed wonderfully. I, I can only hope that you've had a fraction of the blessing that we've had. When I originally prepared this message, I had just a few verses that I was going to read as the text. <clears throat> but once again, I feel like it might be good to read a little larger section uh, in John chapter 11. So if you could turn to John chapter 11. And we'll just start at verse 1. We're going, we won't read the entire chapter, but we'll go down through the miracle that we want to look at tonight. John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, of the village of Mary and her sister, sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. That right there ought to make us stop. The very time that it seems like the Lord's acting in a way that He doesn't love us, it's just because He does love us. He loved them, oh, he loved them so He said, I'll just wait around here until He dies. Yeah. Then after this, He said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to Him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. You're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He knew what he was doing, see, by going back there. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. Disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes. Now listen, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary still sat in the house. Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am 
the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher's here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then who were with her in the house and consoling her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. You know, he wasn't weeping because Lazarus was dead. I think he was was entering into the pain and the miserable state of fallen humanity as a result of sin. And there he was with ones that he loved and he saw what sin had done in this world. And he felt it. You talk about coming down and becoming a man and uh, the, the miracle of his perfect humanity and the miracle of his compassion. E.B. Warfield had a, a little book on the emotional life of our Lord. See, a real man feeling things. Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind, we talked about that, (laughs) have kept this man also from dying? Jesus therefore again being deeply moved within came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Now this is verse 38 where I was going to start reading. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou heardest me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Let's pray once again. Our Father, we think of that, the words of the, that song we just sang. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our eyes to see. As we look into Your Word. 
pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been considering the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've seen day by day that those miracles were more than just mighty works of power. They were also signs, that is, they were meant to teach us about spiritual realities. We looked at the bread of life. Jesus said, I am that bread of life. I'm the light of the world, and so on. Same thing is true regarding this miracle that we just read about. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. It speaks to us not only about physical resurrection, but also about spiritual resurrection. Um, We read through those verses before the Lord performs this miracle, but back in verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. And He says, He who lives and believes in Me shall never die. Well, he'll die physically, but He's been resurrected spiritually. And um, back in uh, uh, an earlier time, back in uh, chapter 5 of John, we just turn back a few pages. It might be worth turning back there if you have your Bible there. Back in John 5, verse 21, he says, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. And then you get down to verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. He's talking about spiritual things. Just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. And then in verses 28 and 29, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear His voice, and shall come forth those who did the good to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil to a resurrection of judgment. The works will be an index of the reality of that profession. We're not saved on the basis of those things, but they do accurately tell what God has done or not done in a person's life. Well, we see here then, this right here in these words of Jesus, the aspect of spiritual death and spiritual resurrection. We see that in other places. Jesus speaking to a man there in Luke 9. He said, let the dead bury their dead. What's he talking about? And uh, in another place, uh, telling the parable of the prodigal son, he says, this my son was dead but now he's alive. So, we know what the Lord had in mind here. And He specifically brings it out. I am the resurrection and the life. And The hour is coming and now is when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God. So, the resurrection of Lazarus is a literal physical miracle. And as a physical miracle, it was a display of mighty divine power. And really we could spend the whole time talking about just the physical aspect of this miracle. He'd been dead four days. And um, he had already begun to decay and smell terrible. And I think I think when they roll back that stone, the stench of rotting flesh was overpowering. He hadn't been laying in there alive for four days. Think about that. 
It wasn't exactly the kind of thing that would increase your faith when you roll that stone back. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Somebody said he cried, Lazarus, come forth, because if he had just said, come forth, the whole cemetery <laughs> and the whole world. Because <laughs> the day's coming when that's going to happen. Well, the miracles of the Lord Jesus themselves, they, He did works that no man ever did. And this is one that John chose, you know, to get across the idea He's the resurrection. He's the resurrection in the life, spiritually and every other way. So the resurrection of Lazarus was a literal, physical miracle and a mighty act of power. But um, it is a sign that points us to the resurrection of the dead. That those, they, He says the hour is coming when they shall hear um, the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. So that's what it is to become a Christian. To become a Christian is nothing short of spiritual resurrection. Dead men are made to live. The Lord Jesus Christ authoritatively calls lost men out of a state of death into a state of life. God's Spirit comes to a man who's dead in trespasses and sins and raises him <clears throat> from the dead. So what are the spiritual lessons then that we could learn from this great account of the resurrection of Lazarus? First of all, very obvious one, isn't it? Lost men need resurrection. They need resurrection. They're dead spiritually. Ephesians 2.1 when we were dead in trespasses and sins. In Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. So think of this, beloved. Lazarus was not sick. He was not in a swoon. And he was not unconscious temporarily. He was dead. And he... Not only was he dead, he was dead four days. So the stench of his corruption and putrefaction filled the air. Just like it does with a lot of lost men. Yeah, that's right. There was no spark of life in Lazarus. Men who have a spark of life don't need resurrection. They need nurturing and medicine. Yeah, that's right. But there was no spark of life in Lazarus. <clears throat> There's some people that have that kind of idea. They don't believe men are really dead. They believe that, that sinners have some kind of a spark of goodness or ability of some kind, just in a little bit, but they've got something. They're not dead. <clears throat> you know, they've got a little spark of spiritual understanding that enables them to respond rightly to the gospel. But when you realize that men are dead spiritually and have no life and no spiritual goodness and no spiritual response and no, no receptivity <clears throat> to truth whatsoever, then you realize if anybody's ever going to be saved, God has to do something Amen. for them. <clears throat> That's the situation. The hour is coming, Jesus said, and now is when the dead 
shall hear the voice of the Son of God. So that's the reality in the spiritual realm. Men are dead, and there's no possibility whatsoever of them responding to the gospel except by a divinely initiated miracle of regeneration and spiritual resurrection. That's why the Lord Jesus said in John 6.65, No man can come to me unless it were granted to him by the Father. This is impossibility unless it's granted to him by the Father. And that's why Paul said, there's none righteous. There's none who understands. There's no man in the world that has any spiritual understanding. Jesus said that. No man knows the Father except the Son. Nobody knows God except for one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So, Paul says, there's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. There is no one. Zero. Apart from God doing this resurrection in them. So, Paul says again in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Neither can he know them. Because he's on this level and those things are spiritually discerned and he's not in that realm. Jesus said, those who worship God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. He said, Neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. God is spirit. Those who worship, And people get the idea, well, you can worship God anywhere. That's true. But when He says, Neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. God is spirit. Those who worship must worship in spirit. He's saying God's not anywhere down here. It's not He's everywhere down here in that particular way of understanding. He's saying God's in a different realm. He's in the spiritual realm. You're not going to go worship. You're not going to go to Jerusalem and worship Him or on this mountain or in this building. You've got to get into the realm where God is. And the only way you can get into that realm is if you've been resurrected spiritually or born Again, we talked about that. Beloved Lazarus did not need exhortation. He did not need a great apologetic argument and presentation. He didn't need eloquent preaching. He needed resurrection. He didn't need the offer of life. He needed life. He didn't need the offer of life. Couldn't do anything with that. He needed resurrection from the dead, and so does every lost person in the whole world, including the one that we're trying to witness to or work beside. They need resurrection. So, that's the first point, very obvious. Second point, even though God alone raises the dead, there are some things that He requires us to do. Verse 39 There was a stone lying against this cave. Jesus said, remove the stone. Remove the stone. So what's our second point? 
even though only God can raise the dead and he has to raise the dead, there's some things he requires us to do. It's a general principle that God does not do the things that we can do. All right? So God could have moved that stone too, couldn't he? But he told them to do it. Why? Well, because it's something man can do. Only God can raise the dead, but men can roll stones back from the opening of of the tomb. And in in relation to the resurrection of sinners from the dead, there's something God has told us to do. He's told us to talk to them, to witness to them, to share the gospel with them. When you say that won't do any good, only God can raise the dead. Yeah, you move that stone. He told you to move the stone back. Yeah. yeah. The fact that only God can raise the dead doesn't change the fact that He's given us a command to roll the stone back. So, <clears throat> I want to make two or three points here with relation to our responsibility. First of all, notice these stones were heavy. They were heavy. It took two or three men to move one of these stones. It took some straining. There was some real exertion involved to move these stones. And the things that God tells us to do are not easy or without any cost. And sometimes, well, let me just read some of them to you. Paul says we were pressed beyond measure, despairing even of life. God might want you to move that big of a stone. That's right. Colossians 1.29, he says we labor, striving according to his power that works in us mightily. And then he says, I want you to know what a great struggle I have for you in prayer. Epaphras laboring earnestly in prayer. So that's moving those stones. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. There's something to be done, see? Yeah. David Brainerd out there with tuberculosis, praying for three or four hours in the snow, melting snow down with his body, coughing out blood on the snow. It can be that. Yeah. That's just the reality. <clears throat> Second thing to notice, these stones were heavy. Second thing, if they had not obeyed and moved the stone, Lazarus would never have been raised. Now that's quite a thought. Yeah. Suppose they said, well, it doesn't matter if we move the stone or not. God doesn't need our puny efforts. <laughs> you remember William Carey was concerned about sending out missionaries and the old hyper-Calvinist man that was in there the pastor there said young man sit down God wants to save the heathen he doesn't need you that's totally wrong. He's saying, he's saying, young man, we don't need to move that stone. If God wants to move that stone and raise Lazarus, he'll he'll do that in his own time. <laughs> Directly disobey what God has said. That's right. 
Yeah. And pin it back on the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Yeah. He's told us to move the stone. He told us to go in all the world as a as a commission to the church in general, go and make disciples. <clears throat> Third point. Even after man has done all that he can do <clears throat> and all that God has commanded him to do, he still hadn't done one iota towards raising the dead. <laughs> God, Lazarus is just as dead as he could ever was. After the disciples pushed and strained on that stone, there was no more life in Lazarus than when they started out. You see, in this sense, we're God's fellow workers. He lets us get in on what He's doing. That's about that. I, I've, I think about we used to set up tables every Sunday for our meal time because we had to move and rearrange stuff. We didn't have a separate area. And the little children always wanted to help. And if you're strong enough, you can let them help. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, you're going you're to get your back hurt or something. Yeah. It's like... But a strong guy can let them help because he can overcome what they're doing, you know, and let them feel like they have, I mean, you know, they've got a part in this. That's, that's the condescension and grace of God to yeah. let us yeah. have any part in all these things that he's doing. Amen. It's amazing. I planted Apollos water. I mean, what are you really doing? Are you causing that plant to grow? God God gave the growth. God caused the increase. That's, That's right. Once you plant and water it, you haven't done anything. God gave the increase. <clears throat> so, the second point is, is that God doesn't do what He's commanded us to do after, even though He is the only one who can raise the dead. Third point, we see here a wonderful illustration of calling and regeneration and conversion. I love the word calling. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Moreover, whom He predestined, that's back in eternity. Now we move into time. Then may also called. And whom He called, He justified. And whom He justified, He glorified. Second <clears throat> Timothy 1.9 He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose. There's that calling according to purpose according to His own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Amen. 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 Isn't, that, isn't that incredible? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just think back of when God saved you. Amen. He saved us and called us with a holy calling according to His own purpose and grace Amen. which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Romans 9.11 The children be not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election, according to His choice, 
might stand not of works, but what? Him who calls. Him who calls. So this back in eternity past, He predestines, and then when the right time, He calls. Please, God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and then He calls Him by His grace. So what happens in calling? Well, we read that back in John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear shall live. That's what happens in calling. Mm -hmm. The Son of God speaks. He summons life out of death. So here's Lazarus. An hour is coming when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Now how does a dead man hear a voice? Was Lazarus laying in there alive, you know, listening? (laughs) He's dead. How's he going to hear somebody shouting? I'll guarantee one thing, if it had been the disciples out there shouting Lazarus, it wouldn't have worked. (laughs) He's laying in there dead. What happened? A voice went forth, a call went forth, and life sprung up in the call. It's miraculous. It's tied right in. See, calling's tied right in with regeneration, that move. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes from or where So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. You don't know. He says it's mysterious. It's sovereign. The wind blows where it wills. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Amen. Oh, my. This voice itself is a mighty, life-giving, creative voice, and it summons men from the dead. And as the call goes forth, in that instant, life springs up to hear the voice. And that's what happens in regeneration proper, the giving of life. And we see that in John 3, 8, the wind blows. So, regeneration, the impartation of life, is tied right in with call. Mighty, creative summons from the dead. So, how does this happen in the sinner's experience? Well, the Bible says it's like being awakened from sleep. Remember that? This only it's the sleep of death. So Ephesians five and verse fourteen, awake sleeper, arise from the dead. Yeah. So here's this dead person. Wake up. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So Lazarus, come forth. Well he's lying there dead, and in the sinner's experience. What happens is, is you start hearing a voice. That's what you're conscious of. Regeneration takes place below the level of consciousness, but the first thing you're conscious of, you hear a voice. You're hearing the voice of the Son of God, and He's saying your name. Mm 
and he's telling you something to do. <laughs> yeah. It's a personal thing. Have you ever heard his voice calling your name? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Amen. Where is he calling you to? Well, he calls you out of the tomb, out of death, and to himself. Amen. Come out, come out. So, what does that bring us to then? We've talked about calling regeneration. That brings us to conversion. Lazarus now, he hears this voice. He's been quickened enough to hear this voice calling him personally to come out. And he has to do something. And he does do something, always. He comes out. So, conversion, which is... it's. That has to do with repentance and faith, which are two sides of the same coin, where a person puts their trust in... You know, repentance and faith are the reflex of a regenerate heart. It just comes... You said for... It's a change of mind. Everything's different. Sin, I look at sin different. I look at God different. I look at the Bible different. Everything's different. And... Faith, all this is springing up right there. It's springing up. Okay? So, that's something that man has to do. He has to repent and believe. Yeah. And it's the reflex of something God has done in him. Yeah. Man is active in conversion. He repents and believes. He hears and responds to the call to repent and believe. God's mighty call goes forth according to His sovereign purpose. Life springs up and the call is heard and obeyed, which is conversion. Charles Wesley had it, didn't he? Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. He was blind from birth. He's dead from birth. Fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray, a life-giving ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. You can't get any better than that. That's the reality. Now, last point here on my This is all under this matter of this picture that God's given us here. The last thing to observe is this. Even in the miracles of calling and regeneration, God does not do everything there is to be done. Lazarus came forth bound hand and foot. And again, the Lord Jesus could have loosed him himself, but he didn't do that. He let men take part again. He says, unbind him and set him free. That's our job with the new convert. There are a lot of grave clothes still hanging on the new convert. And they're probably still smelling pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) And you get the privilege of getting to help the new convert out of the grave clothes. (laughs) Get those things thrown away. And set him free. Man, right, yeah. 
what a privilege it is. So remove the, we, God gives us the privilege of removing the stone before and removing the grave clothes after. God forbid that we should gripe about that, complain about that. What, what an incredible thing to have part in the resurrection of dead men. What an incredible thing. Well, the miracle of regeneration. An hour is coming and now is right now. And the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Yeah. Amen.